Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Special Mikey. Along with me is not again Hindu Anthony. What's not up, Buttercup? <laughs> Don't worry, he'll be back. You know, there's some obligations going on, but he's doing wonderful, great things. But he's a with substitute me all- teacher. He's a substitute teacher. Yeah, that's a wonderful, great thing. Yeah, he's got two jobs now, so he won't yeah. be here as often. But when he will be here, we'll give him lots of love, but only in a sexual way. Yes. Uh, only hand stuff. But with me is, as you can already hear, Super Vegan Brian. Hi. And we brought back one of our favorite guests, Anna Meyer, the one of the, one of the greatest cartographers I've ever met. Hi. Thank you for being here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hate to say it, but she's the only photo- for, blah, the only cartographer I've ever met. But yeah, I think her work too. is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. But there are not that many cartographers, and especially not in the fantasy world, but we, we're making an impact. We try to. You're still awesome. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> and just in case this is somebody's first episode or they don't remember your episode too well, could you give a little bit of a reintroduction of to yourself? Well, um, I live in Southern California. I grew up in Sweden, and I've been for the past 20 years, I've had kind of fantasy cartography as a hobby and then when i moved here six years ago i decided to try and make it my my career so for the past five years or so or at least yeah three four years i've I've worked full-time as a cartographer working for cobalt press and and a whole bunch of other publishers doing mainly large campaign maps and and outdoor terrain type maps so you would say that you've been instrumental in putting fantasy cartography on the map? <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> no, I can't claim that. I'm too late for that. There's, there's already been a, a bunch of, of cartographers that have been been instrumental in, in kind of establishing it. Um, I'm one of these that benefit on their hard work and to, to kind of, I go into when the genre is kind of already established to some degree. Maybe there will be a setting where you're the first one making it. It's like, my old speciality is Greyhawk, but I would never be the 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 uh, the defining cartographer of Greyhawk because there will always be Darlene who made the first map, and and there's always almost always every setting have their cartographer that gives the setting the initial kind of feel and look, and maybe there will be a setting or something where I will be that one. We'll see. I am really happy about that. So, I. Uh... And- I yep. lost my total thought there. <laughs> I'm going to say something <laughs> probably profound and life-changing, and it's gone forever. Oh, well. But you're going to say something, Anna, real quick before we I jump I was in? just going to say that, that cartography is one of the, the, the cool tools that you can use as a GM, since that's what we're going to say. So, so since I'm a cartographer, I'm kind of a very visual GM, so I'm trying to use my own things as a as a tool so my campaigns are very map based so to speak that's that's so coincidental that you brought that up anna because gming is our topic of discussion today it is yep. it really is <laughs> and we're so gonna, coincidental <laughs> we're going to dive into that amazing segue but we're going to put it on ha- on pause because it's time to play everybody's favorite game what's nerdy with you now this is a game where your hosts sit down with or without their special guest only without if they're not there and they talk about the nerdiest thing they did in the last week. And then we all take a vote to see who's going to be the king or no king. 
You, I don't care. You, you can, anybody can be a king of the nerds. So, and as always, our special guest goes first. Anna, what's nerdy with you? Uh, oh, this this week it's very easy. Yesterday, uh, I had the great honor of, of playing with Brian again, and we had the campaign finale when we battled the, the big bad boss fight. And during that fight, the first round was a surprise round, as you're supposed to have it. And I managed to dole out 435 points of damage plus some constitutional damage on a surprise round. I've never, ever, ever had a character that been able to dole that out in one action. How many and, d6s uh, was it? Uh, 60 d6s. No, actually, wasn't it 120 d6s? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was 120 <laughs> d6s plus 2d8 uh, points of ability damage or something like that on top of it. Oh, my God. Yep. That's the nerdiest thing I've done in the game in a long time. She cast Mythic Dis- Disintegrate, and she rolled yep. to confirm a critical hit. Yep. Oh, my God. That is it, insane. You know, it never happens. No one ever rolls crits for spells, and Anna does it in the boss fight of the end of the campaign. <laughs> yeah. But but that I is- had help because I actually I man I had the, uh, the the quick and true strike so that helped me to hit. So I did that as a swift action first, and then I doled out the spell as my standard standard action. Well, so, you also so, had the yeah. help that Heather Sorcerer guaranteed that the that the guy, that the demon lord failed his saving throw by using a mythic wish. Yes, so it was a very good setup for that attack. So I had great help and and was buffed beyond anything, so to speak. The, a really good point to me- to mention is that didn't kill the demon lord. <laughs> no, it didn't. But it was a good start. Oh, oh my god, it stayed alive. Yeah, oh, like yes. six hundred something hit points. Yep. Yep. Jesus. That you was took the- a chunk. You took a nice chunk out, though. Yep. That was the most high-powered combat I've ever had as a player, and probably ever as a GM as well. Because my character is, she's a silver dragon sorceress, and she had, with full buffs and everything, 711 hit points. Damn. Yeah, we were were playing a very high-power game. Yes, very high-powered. Whoa. That blow, man, I thought... The guys on critical roles on critical role had buff stats. I mean, their barbarians like I have two hundred hit points. Yeah, you kick his ass. Yep, but it was all legal uh, according to to the rules. So we didn't step outside the rules. It was all we, within we, the rules. We got a little unbalanced at the end when yep. Anna turned into a dragon. It's not like yep. she was a dragon for the entire game. She just <laughs> her character had been striving to become a dragon. Throughout the entire game. And in the second to last encounter, I gave it to her. Oh, that was sweet of you. Yeah. So it it was, yeah, it was super unbalanced and she was super powerful, but she only had that power for the very end of the campaign. Yep. Dang. That and they were 20th level, 10th tier mythic characters. Yep. Jeez. No They're, joke. So let me give you an idea of this mythic augmented wish. You can use it as an immediate action to alter reality to choose what somebody rolls on a die. Whoa. So you could make the demon lord get a one on his saving throw. That's wicked cool. Yeah. So, Michael, what'd you do that was nerdy this week? I went through this magical archway, and it's transported me to a world of zombies and little yellow men and wizards and bigger yellow people that have massive donuts and dinosaurs and... 
Okay, I went to Universal. I am so honored that both people on the show with me today, both hosts on the show with me today, shared the nerdiest thing they did this week, and they're both things they did with me. Cool. <laughs> I think we should start calling you special, Brian. Yes, exactly. I like yeah. super better. Okay, you're su- you're super vegan, Brian. Still super special, vegan, Brian. That's when he that that's when he focuses his chi and screams like Goku. Uh, yeah, I went to Universal last Wednesday and with Brian, of course, and a. To uh, my cousin and another friend, and we just had a really cool like guys trip there, and it was one of the better trips I've had in a, like going anywhere with anybody in a while. Like I like like I'm, I got to clear this up. My wife is like usually my theme park buddy, but like this change of pace, we're just going with the guys and stuff, and it was it, it was one of the nerdiest things because we we all nerded out a bit on on stuff. Plus, we found out that on the Simpsons nuclear reactor in the Simpsons area of the park, if you push a red button. You can make the core meltdown. Wow. Yeah, the the whole there's a there's a little window panel where you can see the whole instrument panel for where Homer Simpson sits, and then just off to the left of that, if you push a red button, like nuclear waste barrels that are next to the door start shaking and alarms go off. And if you're the first person to do it that day, the smokestacks will actually billow smoke. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. We and- kept going back to try it, and we couldn't get them to billow smoke. Uh, for a second time, because if you're the first person in the day to do it, it'll build the smoke. So, but, yeah, we all kept going back. It was a lot of fun. The nerdiest thing that the three of us did together was after we saw Donkey from Shrek sing I Like Dinosaurs to the tomb of Jurassic Park, us walking around the park singing that at the top of our lungs. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was actually it, like it, I would say it was all four of us. But Jeremy's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Yes. My cousin Jeremy's like, you guys have fun. And my friend, my friend Dwayne, who is wearing this really cool dinosaur shirt and me are just walking. And I'm wearing an Indiana Jones store. So when you're on the Jurassic Park ride, you're basically wearing the hat from Jurassic Park. I don't care. But we're also there just, I like dinosaurs. No, no, no. It was. I like dinosaurs. I like dinosaurs. I like dinosaurs. Three grown men just trouncing through the park, screaming that. And the, what's funny is we were actually on our way to the Jurassic Park ride. We sang it on the ride. Yeah, on the ride. Well, we actually got really lucky on the ride because we all decided to go single rider because it was like almost an hour wait to get on the on that ride. That was like the longest wait too for rides. So we went single rider and we were on it in like, what, six, seven and, minutes. And we still sat one behind the other. Yeah, we were set. We were set yeah. in a perfect row, one behind each other. We weren't and, next to each other, but we were one behind the other. So it was still great. I think that was the most fun I've had on that ride in a long time. I, I don't know if you heard me at the front of the at the front of it when we're going up the thing and you hear the raptor and we're going up the hill and you hear the raptors and the T-Rex pops down. I'm up front going, I like dinosaurs. I like dinosaurs. Oh, and the people next to me were like, this poor guy's afraid. I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I heard you. I tried to act like I didn't know you. But yeah, that's my nerdy thing. And maybe mm-hmm. Brian's? No, I'm sharing a different one. I never share the same one as someone else. Anna right. stole the game. So <laughs> fortunately, I do a lot of nerdy stuff. So I went to Universal. I ended a campaign. And I still managed to pull something off. <laughs> The Mega Coven group, which is a group of fangirls. I was going to say a group of fangirls and me. I'll just say a group of fangirls. Your fangirls, I bet. Yes. A group of fangirls for Supernatural. 
formed a chat group. We were all we all met in the live watch that's attached to the Supernatural Road So Far podcast Facebook group. And to give you an idea of what this chat room is, it's basically just a bunch of girls talking about gay fan fiction and me muting my chat. So I have heard a lot of stories from this group about different character ships and so on and so forth. Sydney, who is one of our amazing members, um, set up a fundraiser for Endure for Kindness where um, to raise $335 for Random Acts, uh, Misha Collins' fundraiser. Oh, okay. It's sort of a precursor. We're all in the same Gishwishes group, which is Gishwiz group, which is uh, Misha Collins' scavenger hunt. Um, that's for Random Acts. Well, she set up this thing called a Fickabuster, which is 24, a 24-hour chat room where each person spends an hour reading. So there is someone always reading fiction through the whole thing. Well, because I had a crazy week, I didn't have a chance to sign up. So I popped in and they said, Brian, are you going to read something? And I said, I didn't sign up. And they said, well, do you have something short? We can fit you in and you can still read something. And it was April Fool's Day. So I thought, <laughs> what's the craziest thing I could do? I don't know if you ever heard of an author named Chuck Polinick. No. Chuck Polinick wrote a book called Fight Club. Oh, that's the name of the author for Fight Club? Yes. I yes. didn't know that. Chuck Polinick wrote a book called Fight Club. What a lot of people don't realize about Fight Club is the book is a lot darker than the movie. Chuck Polinick specializes in very visceral, dark, and unexpectedly surprisingly shocking stories well he wrote a short story collection called haunted and one of the stories in that short story collection is called guts and guts may a little bit be a little bit too much for this show but i'll give a description of it so i go on the chat and i say i'm going to read guts by chuck polinick but i need to give everyone a disclaimer this book is this story is extremely graphic graphic it contains sexualized and gory content and when Chuck Polinick read it on his reading tour to promote Haunted, the short storybook, seven people fainted and many people threw up. And people Whoa. immediately started typing in the chat. Well, you've seen the kind of stuff we read. We can handle anything. I read two paragraphs and Sydney typed in the chat. Holy fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> no. So just to give a description Guts is about the dark side of masturbation. Oh, God. It's about a guy who, when he was 13 years old, masturbates at the bottom of the pool and with his butt on the drain, and he gets stuck. Oh, Jesus. And just let your imagination go from there based on the title of the story. I had people tell me that I gave them nightmares. I had people <clears throat> tell me that they can never eat a carrot again. Read the story if you want to know why. <laughs> I was so happy that I pulled the ultimate prank on these fangirls by reading the most visceral, horrifying story anyone will ever hear. Oh, dear Jesus. I don't know if it's the nerdiest thing any of us has done, but it's definitely the most sadistic. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, going to agree beep. with that. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like, let's all vote for Brian so he doesn't hurt us. <laughs> <laughs> Better. No, let's all vote for Brian so he doesn't make us listen to him read it. <laughs> it's okay, but we should we should spare the the listeners of this. <laughs> I just yeah. I, I just want to congratulate the group for they made it through the whole twenty four hours. Some of them stayed up for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! 
listen to the fan fiction. A lot of it was pretty good. I mean, there was one point where I stepped in and, you know, there were words like clench and throbbing and cock. Oh, so Jesus. They pretty much read everything. It, it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. So voting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard for me to vote for you guys because I feel like I'm voting for myself on all three. <laughs> well, yes, you do. You're involved. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm actually going to vote for Anna because doing that much damage and lasting a game to 20th level, that's amazing. I'm going to vote for Anna, too, because Anna stuck with the campaign the whole time. It was amazing. It, it's been so cool. I've never conceived a game and actually from start to end and actually finished it in the way I intended to. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that was able to be done. It would have been two years in July, so we're just short of two years. Dang. Yep. So, Anna, who do you vote for? Uh, this is a hard one. This is a really hard one. Um, oh, you already won. It doesn't really matter. No, no, she has oh, to yeah, say. Yeah, but it, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad for that. But this one is, is hard. But I, I'm going to to vote for, for Brian this time, I think. Yeah, I, I will vote for, for, for Brian this time. Not because I'm particularly prone to, to sexual stories, but the the <laughs> uh, but I'm Swedish, so so I should be, I'm I'm a liberal Swede, so nothing could can kind of disgust me in that department. You're you're Swedish, it, so you're voting for the troll. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I'm voting for the troll. But no, but it's it's because it sounds um so nerdy that it's not uh, for a general audience and it's not for something that people outside the nerdy community would understand and and so i guess i have to to vote for it yeah i would be i have to say it was the nerdiest thing i ever did it was the nerdiest yep. thing i've ever done was sit in this now i didn't stay for the whole 24 hours i popped in about three times and getting to read the story was just the highlight of it but um it was just so cool that they pulled that off and they raised how much money they raised three hundred and thirty five dollars. Dang. That's, that's pretty a, good. That's actually mm-hmm. pretty good. Well, I'm glad that's they were able good to do for that. A day. Yeah. Dang. And it just goes to show do some kind of marathon and people will donate money no matter what the marathon is. Yeah, this is true. Plus, a so, lot of people just do it because they want to they want to be able to help. So what was our topic again? Talking about stuff we found nerdy? No. <laughs> You're very no, funny. No, today's amazing topic is GMing. As a, GMing as an art, GMing as a science, as a passion. We're just and talking about what it means to do that. And we're going to start off by, go, by sitting here and going, Brian, could you tell us the definition of a GM? Well, in tabletop gaming, you're... The players are imagining that they're in scenarios and that what takes tabletop gaming gaming away from just let's pretend is you have someone who's creating the structure for the story for the players to immerse their characters in. The GM is the person who creates that structure, whether they're whether they're reading it from a pre-published adventure or they're making it all up on the fly or they're planning in advance and crafting their own world and their own story. The GM is the person who runs that game. They're also a coach, a storyteller, a facilitator of relationships, and a judge. How's that for a definition? Are they also jury and yep. executioner? Sometimes. Yeah. That was, <laughs> Sometimes. That's a good one. Yep. That was really good. So 
as a GM is also has often been misrepresentation as saying, oh, well, you're the god of the uh, of whatever this world is and you're making things happen. Would you say that would be incorrect, Brian? Repeat the question. Uh, well, in a lot of a lot of people who have played either very little or to no tabletop gaming, they think that a GM is more like the like a god of that world, just just making things random things happen. Would you agree or disagree with that, Brian? Well, it depends on the type of game, really. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be my answer quite a bit. I mean, if you're writing a pre-published adventure, the GM is basically the authority figure at the game. They're the person who makes judgment on rules. Some people use the analogy of God in a game, which I guess is appropriate because they have control over everything. But if you think about it that way, the players are also gods because they're controlling everything their players do and they're adding to the story as well. So would it be more like subjective or do you, or would a GM be so much more than just that? I think I pretty much covered it already with my main definition. It's like they're, they're the facilitator of the story. I think that's the main thing a GM is doing, no matter what kind of game they're, they're, they're running is they're making sure that story happens. And their, their ultimate goal is to make sure everybody, including them, are having a fun, a fun time. Anna, okay. you've GM before. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, you're completely right when you say the facilitator of the game, and they are very much hosting the game because they are the ones setting the parameters of the game and and very much the tone of the game. Some a lot of GMs I've noticed they they tend to see it as they play against the the players, but to me it's very important that you play with the players. You are the one that that go make sure that the players have fun. That that's the that's the my general kind of guiding line when I'm, I'm trying to, to run a game is that make sure that the players have fun. But, and, but in order to do that, you have to anticipate what the players really want before they even want it. Meaning if you, if you just follow what the players ask you to do, meaning give them more uh, experience points or more treasure or more cool weapons or whatever, that's what the players are asking. But what the players really want is to be immersed in the story. or So, so you have to anticipate the tools, what the players need, not what they're asking for, but what would give them that awesome experience. And to be able to manage their desires – and their needs, which are not the same thing. That, I think, is the, the, the true art of GMing. We had Eric Britton, Pathfinder Society um, Regional Venture Coordinator, on the show before, who is also one of the best GMs I've ever had. And what he told me once was, people are coming together to play a role-playing game to tell a story. And it's the GM's job to help the players create that story. Yep. So if mm -hmm. they're going in a certain direction... You urge them in that direction, and they're creating a memory of that game. The, the product of a tabletop game is the stories people tell about that game years later. Yep. So, you know, hopefully the game we played last night is going to be an anecdote at conventions and stuff like that forever, because it, it had moments that are never going to happen in another game. Michael, so... You've GM'd before. I mean, we've both GM'd a lot of Pathfinder. You you GM the Serenity role playing game. What's do you have anything to add to the the definition? Well, I I think I just agree with you guys more that it's a facilitator because when I ran my game, I tried to be to play along with the characters uh, by helping them make a more immersive story by trying to help everybody who was involved feel like 
that they could help mold the story the way it was supposed to go. You use the philosophy as if the players are active and doing stuff, don't interfere. Yeah. And if they stop doing stuff, make something happen. Well, yeah, I because I, I had my main storyline played out and everything, but I always left room for for a change or for improvement because the way I saw the Serenity game and the way that format was, you could really you had a lot of space huh, to let things happen and to fold out because as long as you kept them moving towards their main goal, not really railroading them, but kept them in that one direction, but help them keep that direction as loosely as, as you want, you would still see your story might come to fruition with the way that game was set up and the way everybody interacted and talked and had their characters played. It really made the story richer and made for some of the best moments that I can think of with all of my friends. In uh, in the game and just being ourselves. Uh, so. so we have defined GMing as a facilitator, a storyteller, a god of this world, a judge, a referee. And sometimes the executioner. So let's talk about what makes a good GM. All right. So if I'm going to run a game for the first time, Anna, what kind of advice would you give someone running for the first time? Uh, assuming that the person had been a player, so they know the basics. Uh, you need to kind of know the basics of what role-playing game is. And you also have to have, I would say, extensive knowledge of, of the rule system that, that you're using. Because so, so I would say that first, try to, if you're starting as a GM, try to, to run a, a pre-published game like a, a adventure path or, or, or just a, a small module and read it through thoroughly and then read through all the, the, the rules that apply and be really prepared. But the problem is it's a bit like going to battle. The plans only last until the action starts. So so have the plans, but don't see them, see them as a something you need as a starting point and then go with the flow. So it's, it's being prepared, but also realize that, that things go offhand quickly. And, and, and so, so, so it's, that's the way I would see get started a lot, a lot of preparation, but an open mind. If you can keep that balance straight in, in the beginning, you will, you will be off to a great start. So, but it, when it comes to preparation, like how far extensive are you talking for preparation? For me, it's it depends on what type of, of game you're running. If most people, they most games that I've uh, that I've run are my own homebrew version of Greyhawk. Meaning, you, I sit and prepare. I I kind of make up the uh, the characters that's going into. I I kind of so it's I create the world and let them play that the players play in. But most gamers in other Pathfinder or D and D and so on, they they have pre made modules meaning then you read through and you make notes and how to implement rules and stuff so so preparation can mean different things but it usually means that you have the rules and you have the backstories and the props and all the things that are going to be in the game you know them by hand or you have them in notes pre-written so you can kind of re refer to the notes easy and then be prepared to make up the rest so to speak that that's how I see it, Michael. Okay, Brian. When you, I know you, you're one of the the best preppers and best GMs I've ever played with, and 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 you you've done remarkable. So what what's your take on 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 pre preparation? What you do that makes the the game session so magical? You made my head so big that my mic is is slouching <laughs> down now. 
Okay. So preparation really varies. If I'm prepping for a pre-published module, it really depends on if I'm running in a home game environment or I'm running in an organized play environment, how I prep it. If I'm prepping for a home game, it depends on what type of home game it is. So really, it's if I'm going to GM a game, the first question I ask myself is, what kind of game am I running? So, Michael, you're playing in a pre-published module that I'm running right now. So let me share how I'm prepping for that. All right. So first off, I read the whole thing. I read the whole thing from beginning to end. Then I read it again, taking notes. And those notes are an outline because I want to break that adventure down into what its basic outline is. You know, what's the intro? What's where is the adventure being described to the players? If that's missing, how do I add it in? What is the catalyst of the adventure? Like what happens to have that happen and how do I create that with impact in the game so the players recognize that that's the catalyst? How do I implore urgency in the players to get them to want to actually do that thing and not just go completely off the rails because that's possible? And if they are going to go completely off the rails, do I have ways to steer it back to the story without seeming like I'm just railroading? Or do I have to just go off the rails for a little bit while in that adventure? In that specific game we ran, it was a lot of people playing together for the first time. So I made sure to include a social environment in the beginning of the adventure where people could introduce each other to each other. I added some stuff to the adventure where they're basically thrown together so they start socializing and then sticking together so they're not just individuals playing the game. Or get horribly blitzed off absinthe. Yes, I'm sure everybody gets that reference to the game we've never described on the podcast. No, no, this is for us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I go through each encounter one at a time, and I plan them. I read the feats and special abilities of the creature. I look at the map. I figure out where they're going to be. I figure out, is this supposed to be a hard combat? Is this supposed to be an easy combat? How do I set this up in a way that it won't take a long time and start dragging down and keeping people bored. Then I go through I, I go through each encounter and see which encounters land after them later on in the same gameplay day so I can make sure that the encounters are planned so they're balanced to each other. So the party doesn't blow all their resources on the first encounter when there's three other encounters on the same day without telling the party that because you want it to be natural. Then... You know, look for little opportunities for like the different characters in the game. So I find the different characters kind of think about them and get an idea of what their personality will be like, how they would be if they were in real life. So I can build up some quirks and build up who they are without making them too cartoonish or making them totally cartoonish. If I think that's important, I try to find the end of the game, see where the clear end is, and then I go through the whole thing again and look for little details that I might have missed that might complicate the game or might streamline the game to make the players get from point A to point B a lot faster. Now, that all being said, if I'm running a ho- if I'm running a game that's not pre-planned, there's also multiple questions I have to ask. If I'm running a home game, am I running a story that I'm creating, then I got to make an outline and come up with how I can get the party to point A, point B without necessarily railroading them, or 
do I want this to be a more point A, point B, point C situation where they are railroaded? Because those can be fun too, because sometimes you want to do that when you're playing for time. Then there's the kind of game that Anna runs, which is a sandboxy game. And there's multiple different ways to do that. And how do you do that? I'm planning a sandboxy game right now, um, which is the next campaign that Anna and my girlfriend Heather are going to play in, where I'm using the old school exploration style. So the game, they're going to play Bounty Hunters, and they're going to, for example, get a job where they have to find a person. They ask people where the person might be. They do some tracking. They do some investigation. They look for clues. And then they find an area on a map where that person might be. So I take a hex grid and I put it on the map. Let's say their research narrowed them down to 12 hexes. They then pick one of those hexes for exploration. It takes a whole day. And maybe they pick the hex that has the guy they're looking for in it. Maybe not. But what the preparation is, is I have to go through the map and decide what's in those hexes. Are they unoccupied? Is there an encounter in them? So any hex they go to in exploration could be an encounter. And one of the really neat things about a game like that is the players can fight it. The players could encounter a dragon at first level. And then from a preparation standpoint, you decide what happens in that situation. Is it a role-playing encounter? Does a dragon just slaughter the party? Does one person die? Some of that depends on what the party does, and you got to be ready for that. But still, from a GM perspective, your job is making sure everybody has fun, including yourself. So if you start to slaughter the party and you start seeing pouty faces and people walking away from the table or crossing their arms, you start thinking about tweaking that a little bit. If you see people thrilled that it's super hard and they're dying, you roll with it because every player is different. You got to be ready for that. So we covered pre-published, we covered sandboxy, we covered creating a story. I think that's, I think that's pretty much it for types of games. I think so. So actually running in the game, what are some ways to make what are some ways to make that a fun experience while it's running? Anna, why don't you you tackle that first? What are some questions you got to ask yourself while you're running the game to make sure that you're doing a good job as a GM? I think one of the things is to listen to the players and observe the players and and try and interact with the players. So one of the important things is to try and be multitasking when you when you're GM, meaning you have to kind of Look at your notes and and some ideas. So you have to have kind of plan the next thing that is going to happen while you're talking to the players and 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 observing them and trying to get them to 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 kind of when when they start telling you what they want and or they're trying to say oh I hope he doesn't do that or she doesn't do that or whatever then you then you have that kind of what the essential communication with the players and and have that while you're still scheming in the background that that is I think that the the key to to manage the game the other one is to be able to use your tools while you're still running the game so you don't get bogged down reading a book for five minutes or 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 you're kind of buried deep into your typing things on your laptop if that's the the tool you're using you have to be able to to use your tools as an asset not as a distraction that's really important so michael what's your take on on this on running well for me it's being able to come up with 
an improv that doesn't completely segregate your main story from what your characters want to do. And I agree with you that listening to your characters and their reactions and how they're handling a, like any any encounter or any role playing and trying to to tweak based off of that. I have actually ditched and I have actually had to ditch one entire encounter before just to try and adjust a role play situation in the Serenity game before that I that I have used to run and my form is, you know, I, I run a lot of, I give a lot of room for improvisation. So listening to them makes it really, makes it really imperative for the story to progress for me. Plus, also, you're right, taking as many notes as you can so you can keep some kind of coherency between all of that helps running the game. But it's at the same time, it can be very tricky and cause a little bit of a distraction. So you're right, multitasking and almost splitting your attention is very imperative. I also try and follow like body language, and I'm also yep. somebody who puts out a lot of snacks for my games normally. <laughs> yep. And I can usually tell when somebody's intrigued or they're sitting on the edge of their seat, they will go for snacks a lot more. I, I, I think it's interesting that you meet, you you say snacks because that's actually something I've run into with when you run a game online rather than in person, a good GM tool is to encourage people to bring snacks with them when you're getting ready for the game. That way you know that they have some food in front of them and it's keeping their brain sharp and everybody's a little happier because it's really easy to forget to eat. Yep. Especially really, when you're playing online. Yeah. Especially, you know, in-person gaming, you know, you can tell because when somebody's on the edge of their seat and they're intrigued, they kind of get that nervous snack munch going. A lot of my old games, we used to actually put out red licorice and peanut butter because they're actually surprisingly good together for a lot of people agree. A lot of people don't agree. We're, well, we're going to talk about that later. Maybe. But I can always tell when I see people getting like what two or three red vines, folding them in half and getting a big dollop of peanut butter on there while we're describing an inter- uh, an, the beginning of an encounter. I know I have them hooked. And it's going to be able to run very well. People are going to be very involved. And I've had some of the greatest improv on attack rolls ever from people just because I had them right at the get go, right at the setup. So, but Brian, you know, so like for you, any tips like for running games? Well, when I got the players in front of me, I, you had said a word that I consider one of the most important words in GMing is improv. And I never took an improv class. I never did anything like that, but I do pay attention. And one of the key, well, I pay attention. I look into improv and I've had other people tell me this. One of the key rules to improv is yes. And, and as a GM, what that means is if a player comes up with some crazy idea or even just a normal idea, try as hard as you can to suppress the urge to say no, it should always be yes. And, and Anna is very familiar with this because you can tell when I'm improving. When someone asks me if they can do something and I say yes, exactly like this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I say it all loud and enthusiastic like that because it gives me a natural pause where I can think about the end. Mm -hmm. So I'll go, yes. And this is what happens or yes, but this is what happens. I always try to feed off the improv. So it's sort of like, are there any rocks nearby? Yes. Actually, one of the rocks is quite unique. It has like petroglyphs on it. Yep. And the players will start asking questions about that. And you can just come up with some crazy idea off of that and you'll never know where it'll end. And if you do it right, your players will never know that you made it up on the spot. And that's also, it's a good idea to not ruin the magic 
by not talking about the improv. I usually wait a few games before I maybe tell a player, yeah, I made all that up. <laughs> Didn't have that planned at all. But yeah. I've, I've gotten compliments where it's like, wow, that whole thing was incredible. I can't believe you planned that. That seems impossible to plan. And I'll just say, yeah, I know. I'm really good at this, huh? <laughs> yep. The, the whole improv thing, it's sometimes tough to get players to do because there's some players that get so caught up in the rules, they never want to ask if they can do anything that they don't know if there's a rule to do it. So that can be a real challenge for a GM to encourage players to come up with ideas. And that's when it comes time to really get to know your players because sometimes you have players that creativity causes anxiety so you don't want to push them really hard to improv because that might ruin their fun you know like what could you do and they'll they'll immediately start stressing out and you want to be aware of how to know when that's happening so in those specific cases that's when you take the trouble off of them and the gm might offer an idea you just save those moments for when they're needed because the GM doesn't want to help too much because then it's not the player's story anymore. And one of the real crucial ways to make it fun is the player should always feel like it's their story. I agree. That's why you're the facilitator of the story. I mean, you're writing a lot of stuff, but you're you're mainly the facilitator of the story. This even applies with pre-published adventures. You can make a pre-published adventure feel like it's the player's story because the story wouldn't exist if people weren't doing stuff in it. They're the protagonists. They're the ones who are making the story. A, a An adventure isn't a story that's already conceived. A An adventure is a series of events that are happening in a world that the players can then interact with. But since those players are introduced to that world, that automatically modifies what's going to happen. It's sort of like traveling to an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. I think it's yep. one of the reasons why we love role playing so much. Yep. So we are we got we got about 10 minutes left. So my suggestion is I want to talk about what some of our things as GMs that we do that make us unique, like things that we do that make us good GMs, like things we like to introduce into our games. Then I want to talk about what makes, what are things we don't like about GMing? What are things we would say you shouldn't do when you GM a tabletop role-playing game? So to start off, Michael, what would you consider your qualities that you think bring quality to the table? What, what are some like tips and tricks that you've developed? For me, it's trying to make your characters your players and get their characters to feel very close. I don't like it whenever you have people in the game and you have characters that are at odds to where it's very counterproductive. I like my characters feeling close and having that kind of sibling rivalry, but not like an actual, like, you know, and you cross me, you're dead rivalry. Cause you, the, when are you playing these people that you, that are together playing, they're supposed to be a team, a group, a guild, something and that has something common together that they, and they want to be together. So I always try and facilitate, facilitate them being close. And that, that's something that I've always tried to bring into my games is, you know, trying to make people like a close niche, almost like a family more than just people that are together for a job. Plus I love bringing in snacks. I, I'm a snacky person. It's always it's always a goal for me whenever I start a game for somebody to try and invent a new snack. Of course, that's just the that's just the uh, the food part of me talking. Yes. <laughs> but, but what about you? And like, uh, 
what would be what do you think would be something that you bring unique to tabletop gaming when you run a game? I think I have two assets that I'm um that are my my best uh, aspects as as a GM. One is my my uh, skill making maps. Um, I'm very good at drawing on the fly. Uh, maps of, of villages and dungeons and stuff while we're running combat and while I'm describing things. That's one of my, my traits that I worked hard on. And, and I use these uh, special tiles the, the, uh, that, that you can simply expand and, and play on. And I use the, the when, we have, when we have games the, around the table, I use the wet erase or dry erase markers, and I have them in twelve colors or something, and I, I draw. That's one of my 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 things that I've done a lot. That I get compliments from the players that I can have interesting uh, maps that that looks very that that kind of new in, in, interesting environments for the players. The other one is very I, to present a world to the players, the big background stories that that I want the players to feel like there are. The numerous interesting things happen in the background. There are countries that go into war, and there are wizards sitting in their towers scheming, and 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 there might be a vampire coming out, and that's that horrible monster in the forest that might come out, and so on. So that that the so 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 facilitate these stories and kind of have them brooding in the background and making players feel like oh this is a living world with multi dimensions so to speak. Because I've run very sandboxy games, those two things I think are my my things that I'm be- my best aspects as as a GM. So Brian, what the um, the, um, the the things I know you you have a lot of strengths as as a GM, but what do you consider the 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 best ones for you? Well, in the last in the last few years, I think um, one of the things I've really pushed for is more more narr- more push to narrative control for the players. I want the players to have a little bit more control over what they have more control of the story. And I came up with a system using hero points, which are points that are rewarded at different times that let you get bonuses during the game and a Paizo resource called the plot twist cards. Um, plot twist cards are cards with different plot twists on them that have a game mechanic associated with them that you can play a plot twist card and either get bonuses or give people bonuses or give people negatives. Well, I took that to the next level. And if you combined a hero point with a plot twist card when you play, you get to pretend to be the GM for a little bit. And the way I say that to players is, tell me what you want to happen, and then I'll tell you if it's okay. And then they can pitch the story. And I don't think I've ever said no. I think I've always said yes, and I've always, you know, they always come up with a really good idea, and they, they limit it way too much. They'll, like, say... Well, I want this little thing to happen like, oh, I want them to drop their weapon. And I'll be like, oh, no, I, I, I'll be like, yeah, they dropped their weapon and it hits them in the foot. and They fall over into the other guy and he drops his weapon and then the other guy drops his weapon. Wow. I can't believe that happened. That's a twist because <laughs> yep. when you're reading a story, stuff like that happens. And it's not if you're the GM and you have something like that just happen randomly in a combat, it comes across as, I'm just helping the players. If the player can make that happen, it becomes part of the story more. The player made that happen. They've contributed to the story, and then an unexpected thing happened. But since you're using an in-game resource to do it, the game's not going crazy all over the place. 
I, I, I think that's one of my favorite things. Um, but I, that's something unique I bring to the game. I mean, I could talk about strength and stuff, but I've been playing for a long time. I think as far as strength that strengths at the table, being very familiar with the rules helps, but that causes a complication because a, a GM that isn't real familiar with the rules can be a very good GM because you can use improvisational skills and your skills as a judge and fairness to come up with fair ways to interpret situations. But if you really know the rules real well, you have to be able to let them go sometimes to still encourage a fun game, but still keep them keep them in heart because you want the players, if they're familiar with the rules, to be able to trust the campaign. You, you have to, they have to be able to trust the system because that's what rules are for. It's so everyone has the same structure. Everybody has the same foundation. And if you're constantly arguing that and going off of it, it creates a situation where the players don't trust the system and that creates anxiety and tension in the game. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to everybody. It makes sense to yep. you, Michael. Yeah, it does. Cause I don't like tension. And, and Brian, I must say that that now that I game with you for several years, you're a bit of like the Houdini or James Bond of GMs because you can be in a spot where I would see as also been been a GM in gaming for like 30 years. I can see how the hell would I get out of that situation? And you, Brian, you managed to turn even something. The players have all the advantages and and and, and, and you might have feel like you painted yourself in a corner and like just like that, you managed to turn the table on, on, on the combat and the players already that they're from owning the battlefield. They, they're already, they're in peril one round later, so to speak. You, well, you have all these kind of cool things in your back pocket that you can put in that are within the rules and you can kind of easily just facilitate it. That to me oh, is, is a mastery. I, okay. I want to, so I knew when we did this topic, it was going to end up really about me and I don't want it to be about me. So let me explain how I got to this point. If you want to be a really good GM, your best tool is to play a lot of games. Because when you play with good GMs, pay attention to those GMs. That's how I learned my skills. I have played at Eric Britton's tables. I have played at my friend Ian's tables, who's a fantastic GM. I've played at my friend Adam's table, who's a fantastic GM. My first GM was Sandro, who is an incredible world builder. Um, I mentioned him on the podcast before. He's my best friend. He's an incredible world builder. And I always wanted to play at one of his tables. Yeah, that taught me all sorts of skills on gaming. Now, um, you also pay attention to the other players because if a player comes up with something, a really cool improvisational thing, you can put that in your in your toolbox for not only when you're playing, but when you're GMing, um, Daniel cross, our music guy, he is one of the best improvisers I've ever known. He always comes with up with really creative ideas because he's familiar with the rules, but when he wants to do something in a game, he doesn't think about the rules. He just asks the GM if he can do it. The two things he has done. I want to give an example of really cool improv that I've used in games that I've run. There's in Pathfinder role playing game. There's an encounter called a swarm which is very hard to deal with. It's a swarm of little creatures that you can only really hurt with area attacks. They're immune to weapons. And from most players' perspectives, if you're not prepared for a swarm, you're dead. And I was running a game for, uh, for Daniel, and it was a low-level game where people didn't really have a lot of gear. 
and they ran into a bat swarm. And Daniel opened the door. The bats are flying around. He closes the door and he goes, and the entire party goes, what, are, what on earth are we going to do? And he goes, easy. He takes out his bedroll, covers it in lamp oil, lights it on fire, and throws it into the room and shuts the door. <laughs> and I went, there's no rule for that. And as a GM, I said, that room's going to fill up with smoke and all those bats are going to die. <laughs> and it wasn't an airtight room. It was a ventilated room, but still, it wasn't ventilated enough that that smoke was going to escape. So I had the bats fly out and they dealt with the bat swarm. And it was that easy. And when playing other games, I've used that exact same trick. I've, like, I'm going to light the blanket on fire and throw it over the, throw it over the, the swarm. And as a GM, what, how that helped me is there's never a problem with no solution. There's always something you can do. So you start thinking about that when you run games. So if you throw a swarm at your players, maybe put an oil lamp nearby. Maybe put a sheet on a clothesline nearby. And if the players get to the point where they're really frustrated and they're dying, you could have you can suggest it to somebody. You know, pick the smartest character in the party and say, you notice a lamp and a sheet. Maybe you could throw that on top of the swarm or you just mention it and they come up with the idea themselves. So all of my skills as a GM, I got from paying close attention to good GMs. I'm having fun at a table. I paid attention to everything they could do. I see a player who's doing really well. I pay attention to everything they do. It's not a, I have worked really hard to build my skills, so I'm an amazing GM. I have stolen everything from everybody else. So I have them to thank for being a good GM. And you know who taught, actually, the idea of paying attention to what other GMs do came from GMs giving me that tip. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not even something I thought to do on my own. So, so I want to talk about the things we don't like about jamming, things that we dissuade people from doing. I think we'll stay away from telling our horror stories because we're not going to have time. We're already running late, but I do want to talk about things I don't like. I don't like GMs that say no to every single little suggestion without any budging. Yep. You know, yeah. Can't, yeah. And Those staunch guys. Yeah, just real staunch, say no to everything. If it's I not also, in the rule book, they're not letting it happen. Anna mentioned GMs that are trying to kill the party. I call them adversarial GMs. It's a GM that doesn't think of themselves as a facilitator. They think of themselves as they're playing in a four player they're playing in a five player game where four of the people are playing cooperative and they're playing the antagonist. And if the four people who are playing cooperative die, they win. I don't like that. I don't yep. like that either. Exactly. Now, there's an exception to that. If you're running a one-off game and you're saying, and the players want to say, we want to play something really hard. And you say, I'm going to make a dungeon that will kill your characters. And the goal of your game is to get as far as you can without dying. That can be fun. That can be fun. And that changes the role of the GM a little bit. The GM still has to make sure their players are having fun, though, because if they're really unhappy, something's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, because they signed up for it. But for some reason, they're not happy with what you're doing. Yep. I I have experienced that with running games like in the Pathfinder Society organized play system running Bonekeep, where you still have to pay really close attention to your party. Now, I've killed four player, four characters, four players. I've killed four characters playing that 
running that scenario. But I can I can say that my players were happy with their deaths. They had fun. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. So you really got to make sure your players are up for that kind of thing if you're going to run that kind of game. Anna, what do you not like? Uh, I don't like I, – I totally agree with everything you said. But I want to add another aspect is that I don't like GMs who use the rule systems to, to, to hide behind, so to speak. They use that as a – like this is not possible. This is what the rule says, and they become sitting there behind. They, you should not use the rules. Are uh, should be in the background, and and a true DM he can he can use the the, the rules as a, a fabric to tell the story. But if you use the the rules and and you point that as a defense, then then you're in trouble. There's a variation on that when a GM is running a pre-published game, and you're like, is there a map maker in this town? And they're like, well, it's not in the adventure, so no. Yeah, and exactly. usually that same GM opens up the adventure and looks through it for 10 minutes and then says no. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Michael, what do you not like? I don't like GM. I don't like it when a GM will sit there and not describe. Like, I, I don't like the guys that give the bare bones descriptions. Like they're sitting there and be like, well, it's a town. It looks like a town. And or they don't. <laughs> Or they'd be like, oh, well, you know, you can find a picture of this. I, I, I don't like the guys that don't like to paint the picture. The other guys are like, well, it's a paint by numbers. Figure it out. I, I really, it really bothers me. And it actually really hurts my, the immersion that I like to be part of. I'm one of those guys that really like to be immersed in it and do the role play. So I like a rich tapestry. And when a GM just doesn't put himself into it and give that kind of description, it takes something from me. One thing that helps with that is if you're jamming a game, really look through the adventure before you decide to run that adventure. Because if the if the adventure gives a lot of that material, you have it. Get familiar with it. If the GM doesn't have if the adventure doesn't have a lot of that material, you're gonna have to start adding some flavor to make that game interesting. Yeah. So I and that's just something that's always bothered me because I've had GMs like you that paint a actually a very rich a very rich story and give and make for wonderful imagery as you go through and then I also have guys that are like well it, it looks like this it's this it's that so, so it's I actually have a suggestion for that and one thing that really helps is because sometimes GMs just aren't good at that and that's okay and the yeah. big suggestion I'm is, not knocking on anybody it's just something that that, well, I, that bothers me well yeah. Players need to help with that. Now, if the GM does it, just says no for everything you ask, that's on them. But so sometimes I'll like describe a room and I try to tell my players, that's not everything in that room. I just don't have time to describe everything. So ask me a question. You can say, is there dirt on the floor? Is there anything, any decoration on the ceiling? Is there, um, what are the doors made out of? What is the walls made out of? I might have forgotten to say. Or didn't even have it in the adventure and didn't think about it. If the players are asking questions like that, you can't. It 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 adds to the story, and that sort of adds to like the role of the player. So I actually wanted to say, Anna, can we schedule to have you back and do an episode on how to be really good at playing tabletop role playing games? Sure. Yeah. I am for that. Before we wrap up, I have a question for you, Michael. Yes. So. When I played your Serenity role-playing game, yep. I was kind of a wild card, improvised showboater in that game. How challenging was it to GM for me? It got tricky because you knew 
I mean, can I, I don't know how familiar you were with the Serenity mechanic before you came to the game, but you somehow figured out every tip, trick, and twist that you were able to. And you made a very well-off character who made it very tricky for a guy who was running, for, for a guy who's trying to run the game and keep, because there's a points you guys were very widespread. I mean, Serenity, it's easy to, to split the party. And with you basically causing a little bit of mayhem, it's very, very tricky. Not not miserable. I actually had a lot of fun with a lot of the things you did. Matter of fact, one of the stories we whenever I meet up with somebody that we used to play with, uh, so, uh, some of the, a lot of the things we're talking about are stuff you did. So it it wasn't a miserable experience. You did a good job of making sure I didn't always take the spotlight. And that was one of the things that made you a good GM in that situation because I was an experienced player who came in just stealing the show in every single scene I was in. And you managed to make sure everybody felt included, even though I sort of made myself the main character in whatever scene I was in. This is true. Um, I, I really needed to do that because a lot of the people that were playing in that Serenity game, this was, it was, for some of them, it was just their first run through in uh, that format. And then for a majority of the group, it was their first experience with tabletop altogether. I, I I would have to say I'd recommend that game to people who've never played a tabletop role-playing game before. That system was really good. I'd recommend that system set because they changed the 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 mechanic for the new one that came out, which I haven't tried it yet. So I, I want to see how it goes, but I really enjoy that mechanic. It's very it's a good D a D twelve base mechanic, and um, I'm gonna say real quick the 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 one thing that you did that everybody talks about the most is when you killed those two guys with your blood thinning medication and then burned their bodies in a hovercraft. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was amazing because it wasn't. Other- it wasn't all of a sudden I dragged their bodies to the hovercraft. I told the other people in the party, stop staring at them. They're dead. Pick them up and take them into this into this engine over here. We can incinerate them right here. <laughs> yeah, he legitimately had two players like cringing and crying like he's going to kill us if we say anything. We just know it. We can't we can't do anything. He's going to murder us. Wow. It reminded me of every scene in a movie where you got two hapless people who don't know what they're doing. And there's a dead body, and then the gangster shows up and tells them how to dispose of the body and how horrified they are. I I think I I, I made that character inspired by my love of British noir gangster shows. That does not shock me at all. Because <laughs> he was they were like, Okay, so we're gonna do this, that, and he drinks the he drinks the solution. And he die and all suddenly blood just starts coming out everywhere for this massive hemorrhaging he has from blood thinners. <laughs> I like, couldn't have played that character in that game if you didn't do a, such a good job of just improving off of what I came up with. Because I was making up so much of that stuff on the spot just based on stuff I'd already included and making that cocktail with that medication I had. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if you were going to say it smells funny or whatever. No, you have the guy grab the drink and down it. Yeah, I had this egotistical like security guard. And he's like, well, I'll take that and just drinks all of it. And, he go, and he's like, hmm, it, hemorrhage, it, death, die. It really played like a very well played scene in like a confidence game kind of criminals kind of show. It really fit into the Serenity universe. It was great. It did. And. You're the re- and you were the main reason why a lot of my improv actually stepped up is because I I didn't know if you were coming up with the stuff off the seat of your pants or if you were like planning it out. But I was like, OK, I have this guy. He's supposed to be here for this, this and this crap. He just died. 
Oh, that makes me feel good because that's the key to good improv when you don't know it's made up. Yeah, I, I really thought it was planned out. So, yeah, we will regale more stories of that in the future, I'm sure. I think we've told that same story in different ways four times on this podcast. <laughs> I think so. But, yep. uh, yeah. Yeah, because one of the guys that, that you had, like, cringing and crying over in the corner, he was supposed to be, like, a battle-hardened military veteran. And he's just like, he's going to murder us. He's going to murder <laughs> us. So it was quite good. It was it was neat. We could talk about that more in the future. I agree. But I, I now. Agree. But now. Come on. Somebody else say it. It's time to say it's time night. to wrap up, Michael. It's just Stop. time to wrap up. Yep. Okay. Oh, dragged it out too much. <laughs> um, as usual, I'm going to steal the wrap up from you. So, um, Anna, you are you are our special guest host today. Do you have anything special going on that you want to share? No, well, you have legendary games have a new Kickstarter, the forest something, uh, uh, forestry thing. That is something that I just pledged, and that's really cool. But I want to cool. say a few, so one thing on GMing first, that to, to to wrap it up, saying that I think every gamer that play every game that play role playing games should try and GM because it's not only uh, great fun, it is also, I think, one of the best things you can do as personal development because it will teach you to be a leader, it will teach you to 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 cooperate with people, and you will have that will benefit your whole life if you're a good GM. That's something that will be useful way beyond gaming. I have to say, yeah, I agree. I agree completely, I, emphatically. Emphatically, because I played a lot of role-playing games before I even took a, a, my swing at jamming, and it, I think it helped me. Yep. So, but so, do you have any projects going on right now that yeah. you can talk about? Uh, I have right now. I'm working on the Midgard uh, uh, campaign map, the the next thing for the Midgard Kickstarter, and and that is starting to go into the the final phase. So I have about a month or so to work on it. Then I have one computer program that I'm a computer uh, MMO game that I'm doing maps for as well. That's something that might it will Ooh. come out later this year. Oh, I can't wait! Wait till you can talk more about that. Yeah, yeah we have to yeah. have one when that gets yep. public, and you can start. You can yeah. start telling and, us what it is. Yep, and I have another thing that I've kind of uh, announced a little bit that I will next year I will start and run a Greyhawk game that will be uh, kind of a special with when I get my uh, patron up and running. I will as a side project that will attach to it. I will run a Greyhawk game, and that will be kind of a, a special type of of uh, game that we might come back and, and talk about later so to speak so those are the, the things that do. i'm working on yep please so do. anna's actually auditioning players for that game yes yep um, and i will and audition them as they will game as zero meaning classless grunts trying to become heroes and that will be part of the auditioning so so you have to game and you will not even be level one you will be way below you will be a teenager trying to become someone and if you survive and manage to become someone then you earned a place in the campaign i asked anna if i could cut the line and um be one of the players and yep. she said Actually, I'd like you to be one of the GMs. Yeah, and I was like, "You are planning something really cool, and I can't wait to be a part of it." Yeah, so I want Brian to come in and run NP uh, important NPCs, and 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 also to facilitate uh, uh, encounters and stuff like that. That I know Brian is is 
awesome to, to do, so to speak. So so that will be something that I will use Brian and and to help me with that. And I can kind of build the story and, and build the world and, and so on. So we can we can have a lot of fun. I have some I hopefully can have some other uh, big wigs from the gaming industry come in and do guest appearances too. I'm working on that. So we'll see if that can happen too. That'll I think great. that'll I happen for, for sure. I think that'll be awesome. And I have yep. some people I can reach out to if you're willing. Yep. Yep. The um I um I, I don't know if I've ever told you guys I've run a game with two GMs before. I've actually been a co GM on a game. Huh. Yeah. Um we, I was at a con and I came in and they and I said it was the last it was like the after slot where people were just kind of running around trying to find games to play. And I said, What are you guys playing? I want to play and they were like they told me the game and I said, Oh darn it, I played that already. And I said, Do you need a GM? And they said, We have one. And the GM said the most genius thing. You want a GM with me? And I was like, that sounds so cool, and I've never done that before. Yeah, um, <laughs> GMs can work. It can be fantastic way of, of of managing the game. One, you can do it different ways, but I've done it several times. And then one GM is the one that facilitates the story, do the the a lot of the arbitration, and and make judgment calls. And one GM can kind of manage play the NPCs and and do the actual combat management. And you can kind of and then you can alter so the next GM can prepare for the next encounter. You can switch roles. And oh, it's fantastic. You can that's exactly can, what we did. And yep. it was great because if one GM was looking up something in the adventure, the mm-hmm. other GM could yep. manage interaction with the NPCs with the players. Yep. So you never had that lull in the game where the GM was looking something up. That's really cool. It was really cool. And then about three quarters into the game, the other GM had to bail and I finished it. Yep. That's good. Yep. Yeah. That was, it really was cool. a really neat experience. I think the main things I'm working on is getting a Patreon up and running for our podcast, which is I'm at the phase where I'm testing the technical end so we can release exclusive content. And because I don't want to start a Patreon until we have the capacity to release exclusive content. And my main goal is to just be able to, since from recording to release, it's an entire week. So I'm trying to make it so we can give people who donate to our Patreon the ability to listen to our podcast a few days early. And that'll be the first goal. Which I'm excited Um, for. I did write something down to mention. So... I'm playing Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear, and in that game, the NPCs talk and they banter during different parts of the game. And one of the characters, Nira, in that game, when you click on her, she says, what's up, Buttercup? You're kidding. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. It cracks me up. I, I, I'm going to have to bring it up again when we have Anthony back, but you he'll probably to. listen to this one. So yeah, I thought that was great. As far as plugs go... Um, I'm going to include a link to Anna's plug for that Legendary Games Kickstarter. I'll find out the name of it, and we'll put that up. I would like to thank all of our – to let all of our past guests who went to WonderCon this weekend. I know Christy Shin was there. Odin was there. You guys are awesome. And I already talked to a ton of people who had interactions with you guys and were like – were like – I went to WonderCon and met someone that was on your podcast. So that was cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It was mostly people from SoCal Games and Comics. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was kind of cool. They were there, too, I think. Yeah, they were there, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so was uh, Matthias and his new shop. And the, uh, oh, yeah, Beyond Comics? Uh, Nowhere Comics. Nowhere Comics. Yeah, I got it completely wrong. Um, I 
just went to SoCal Games and Comics and I got a big new Hall of Comics and I got Rat Queens Volume 1 and 2, Michael. I need to get Volume 2. I want it so bad. You can just borrow it from me. Okay. Uh, or or I can I can borrow it, lend it to you, not ever expecting to get it back because I was part of the reason why you lost one of your trades. Probably. <laughs> the um, Ash versus the Evil Dead. For, uh, it's uh, Evil uh, Army of Darkness versus the Marvel Zombies. Yeah. Yeah, the Marvel. Yeah, the uh, Marvel Darkness versus Marvel Zombies versus yeah, brain not working anymore. That's okay. So I think that is a sign that we should be heading out. Brian, do you, you have tell anything how to get a hold sharing? of us? Me? Um, honestly, I'm probably just switching into best man mode for my friend. I have to. Uh, his wedding is like in two weeks, so I'm having to finish up a speech, figure out if I'm going to do anything. You know a little bit more extravagant than just say some words, which I probably won't. And I got to just make sure that he doesn't freak out. Cool. So that's really my whole thing is trying to be the nerdy best man for my friend. Anna, thank you so much for being here. If people want to get a hold of you or find your work, how do they do that? Oh, thank you so much for having me. You, you can find my work at ghmaps.net. That's my, my uh, website where I present mostly my, my Greyhawk work, but, but some of the other stuff I'm working on as well. Do you have an email or a, or a Twitter or a Facebook page or anything like that? Uh, I have a Facebook page, uh, um, Greyhawk Maps by Anna, and also Anna Meyer, uh, Cartography by Anna Meyer. So we can find the links and put them in the show notes. And your email is like Anna, Anna at ghmaps.net? Yes. Anna at ghmaps.net. I knew it. That's such an easy one to remember. Yep. Yeah. Um, so if you listeners want to get a hold of us, you can do that at the Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page. It's the best place to talk to us, chat with us, and give suggestions for the podcast. If you want to reach us by email, you can reach us at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, anthony.com, or on Twitter, at SuperVeganBrian, at NerdcasterMike, at Nerdcast Radio. Michael, close us out with your wonderful words. Well, okay. Today actually was was actually really neat talking about GMing, you know, GMing, the art, the passion, the science, the all-around community building person. It, it was wonderful talking about it all because it was stuff that I am still very passionate about. I mean, I, I part of me really wants to run another game. Part of me is like, I really want to play another game. So and this was a, a, a good... A good topic for us. We'll definitely talk more about, you know, actually playing in games and stuff. And I'm really glad that you want to come back for that, Anna. So thank you. But today was a good episode. We really missed Anthony. He'll definitely try and get back. I mean, he's working two jobs. You, you got to give the guy a little break. Well, Anthony's got some life stuff going on. His laptop went kaput. So he's talking on a tablet. So his audio quality is not so good when he's here. And he got a new job. So his schedule is a little messed up. So yeah. So we're, we're he's, trying everything he's we still- can. He's still our third co-host. He's just in one of those spaces, and we'll get it. We'll get him back eventually, for sure. But so, next week, but next we're going to have the Order of the Amber Die Marathon Gaming Group. <laughs> thunder effect, thunder effect. Oh God, you always do that to me. <laughs> um, so it's. I'm excited for that one. Uh, can we say that we're gonna uh, what we're gonna do for that episode? Well, we're gonna split it into spoilers and non-spoilers. So we'll have non-spoilers at the beginning, and then we'll do a big spoiler warning, and then we'll have spoilers at the end. Um, 
because they're going to be talk. We're going to be talking about the Strange Aeons Pathfinder Society Adventure Path. Um, like I think it's book four or five that they're on at this point. So um, we want to have non-spoilers we, at the beginning, so you can actually learn about what they do, and then you can actually hear about their experiences in marathoning the game, that specific game, at the end of our episode. Yeah. So that's going to be. A great episode. I've been looking forward to that one uh, and meeting these guys and talking to them about what they're doing and especially hearing about this adventure path because you've talked about it to me a little bit, but I, I just can't wait to hear about the mechanic after it's been actually run. So, but today's episode was was good. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed everybody. And I think it's time that we sign off and go start our nerdy weeks. Thank you, Anna, again. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much. I really enjoy having you on. So... I've been your host, Special Mikey, and along with me is Special uh, special Vegan, I did it again, Super Vegan Brian. Bye-bye, everybody. And our special guest, the amazing Anna Meyer, cartographer, GM, and just all around extraordinaire. Thank you so much. Bye. So, And this has been Nerd Podcast Radio, and as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. stay awesome. awesome. Say goodbye, Brian. Cut him off. Bye. I don't cut myself off. I am the <laughs> god of this podcast. I am Zool. <laughs> All right, guys, I gotta get going.